0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at celebrationedm. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Speaking of camp, my friend is a rather old-fashioned lady who's always quite delicate and elegant, especially in her language. And she and her husband were planning to go for a week's vacation in Florida, so she emailed a particular campground and asked for a reservation, but didn't know how to quite ask about the toilet facilities, and couldn't bring it to herself to type in the word toilet in her email. So after a bit of deliberation, she came back with a a thought of an old-fashioned term, bathroom commode. I'll just call it that. But when she started to type it, it just felt so awkward. And so she wrote the entire email, but instead of using the full expression, merely reduced it down to BC. Does the campground have its own BC is what she actually typed in. Well, the campground owner gets the email. He couldn't figure out what this lady was saying. You know, he, he wasn't of that mind frame at all. This BC business really had him stumped. Finally, he came to the conclusion that this lady was asking about the local Baptist church. (laughs) And so he sat down to write an email back to her and it read as follows. I regret very much in the delay of my answering you, but I now take the pleasure to inform you that the BC is located nine miles north of the campground (laughs) and is capable of seating 250 people at one time. I admit that it's quite a distance if you're in the habit of growing regularly. (laughs) But no doubt you'll be interested to know that many people take their lunch along and make a day of it. (laughs) Usually arriving early and staying late. The last time my wife and I went was five years ago. (laughs) And it was so crowded we had to stand the entire time. (laughs) It may interest you to know that right now there's a supper plan to raise money for more seats. They're gonna be holding it in the basement of the BC. I would like to say it pains me very much not to go more regularly, but it's surely not for a lack of desire on my part. As we grow older, it seems to be more of an effort, particularly in cold weather. If you desire to come down to our campground, perhaps I could go with you the first time. (laughs) Sit with you and introduce you to the folks. Remember, we're a very friendly community. (laughs) How many of you know context is everything? (laughs) Yeah, context is everything. And uh, when things are out of context, what gets communicated uh, can be very different than expectations, we can be misled. Uh, We could even be offended. We can be misinformed. Our expectations can be very misguided when things are out of context. And um, experiencing things out of context isn't just something that happened to this particular lady, but it also happened to the disciples in their relationship with Jesus. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, a bit of a a lengthy piece, but we need the whole thing to catch what, what is happening here. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist and others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, God forbid it, Lord, this should never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you're a stumbling block to me for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. What an amazing paradox it is in the life of Peter that in, in one moment, he's making this declaration, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And, and then Jesus turns to him and, and says, you know what, flesh and blood didn't reveal this. Nobody told you about this. This didn't come from a person. This came straight from the Father who has revealed it to you. At one moment, Peter's being celebrated for this prophetic announcement that comes from superb insight. And then the next moment, he's being chastised for siding with the devil. The next moment, you know, it's, you know, get behind me, Satan. But let's follow this story more closely to understand what exactly is going on inside of Peter's mind you're the Christ. You're the Christ. That's his declaration. That word Christ, meaning Messiah, Savior, the one who is sent by God. But what that word means to Jesus and what that word means to Peter in his current Jewish mindset were actually two different things. To discover this, look at the comments made by disciples after the resurrection. Jesus is risen, and and. So we've already gone past the crucifixion. Crucifixion has happened. Jesus is risen. They're walking along the road. Jesus catches up to them. And in Jesus' sort of fashion, he's cool. He's cool. Luke chapter 24, verse 18. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of things which have happened here in these days? And Jesus because it's cool. He says, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Now listen to this. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, It is the third day since these things happened. We were hoping that it was he who was gonna redeem Israel. Redeem as in overthrow the Roman tyranny and government and establish Israel as a free and independent nation. That was their understanding of redeem. They weren't thinking about redeem in the way that Christians think about redeem today. They weren't thinking about forgiveness of sins. They weren't thinking about setting setting aside the customs of the law to embrace God's grace uh, and and one final sacrifice for all sins. They weren't thinking about that. They weren't thinking about sin being removed from their life and a freedom from condemnation. They weren't thinking about the presence of God being reestablished with them and, and in them for their whole life, not just in a tabernacle, but with them the way that Jesus does when we receive him into our life. And this explains Peter's reaction to Jesus. When Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him, as the scripture says, and says, God forbid it, Lord, this should never happen to you. Why? Because you're the redeemer of Israel and a dead Jesus can't do what we want you to do. You're here to be the king. You're you're here to take over. You're here to set things straight with these Romans and all the rest of it. You, You can't be taken captive and killed. A dead Jesus can't do this. So God's gonna have to stop this. What's the problem here? Peter has taken the title Christ out of context. Out of context. Jesus was explaining what being a savior meant when he spoke about the fact that he was gonna be taken, that he was gonna be crucified, and that he was going to resurrect. Jesus had to do the same thing with the disciples on the road. In Luke chapter 24, it goes on, it says this, and he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself and all the scriptures. Wow, I'd like to download that Bible study. You know what I'm saying? It's like, wow, this is awesome. What did Jesus do? Had to bring them back into context. The context of salvation, the context of redemption, the context of What it means for him to actually be the savior of the world, the the context of Jesus's purpose, the context of who Jesus is, not who they wanted him to be. Our lives are to be lived in the context of who Jesus is, not who we want him to be. Our lives are to be lived in the context of, first of all, his purposes, not our plans. In fact, we're to live our lives in the context of his purposes and his purposes should determine your plans. Our plans are not to be independent of God's purposes. We're to seek first the kingdom. All these things get added to us. And so we go after his purpose and and we figure out our plan to fulfill that purpose. Our lives are to be lived in the context of his leadership, not his blessings. You know, we can and we do experience the blessings of God. But the blessings are not the focus of our lives. It's his leadership that is. Seek first the kingdom of God, and then what? All these things will be added to you. Not seek first all these things. In fact, what God wants and what we want can sometimes come in absolute conflict with one another. And there can be moments in our life where we're making decisions and saying a prayer similar to what Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane when we say, but not my will, your will be done. And so it's about his purposes. Our lives are to be lived in the context of eternity, not just the here and now. We, we can be making huge wins for eternity and it can actually be costing us our personal comfort right now. But the win for eternity is much more valued than any sacrifice that we're making right now. We're giving up something we love for something we love Even more. How many of you know something? That's going to happen actually this week. Yeah, camping with teenagers. (laughs) Those folks are giving up some comfort for some discomfort that will make an eternal significance. Our lives are to be lived in the context of the gospel. Our lives are to be lived in the context of worship and what you worship is shown by what you give priority and preference to in your life. Now, God moves in your life when your life is in the right context. This is so important to understand. God moves in your life when your life is in the right context. Throughout history, people would have an encounter with God. And then out of that encounter that they had with God, they would attribute a name that matched the experience. I'll give you a few of those. But that encounter happened for one reason, that is this, they were pursuing the purposes of God. And in the midst of pursuing the purposes of God, God does something wonderful in their life. And now they, they take that attribute and they say, you know what, God, I just saw another side of you. This is who you are to me. Abraham was called to follow. And, he's, and God just calls him and says, I'm, I'm gonna create a nation out of you and a place and you're to follow me. And even though you don't know where you're going, let's go, let's do this. And and that's what God's plan was for his life. Abraham, by the way, you need to know this Abraham was not like Sunday school material. He didn't grow up in a church family. Uh, He didn't have a a particular um, religious background to where it wasn't. Let's put it this way God didn't go to a synagogue and pick the most Jewishness person he could find to do what he was doing. God just picked a willing heart by the name of Abraham, who actually comes from a pagan background. That's important to know because it helps you understand the story. Because I don't know about you, but I've read the story of Abraham when they get to the part where God says, go sacrifice your son. And there's, there's not even like a speed bump in the road. It's like, okay. And, he, and I mean, I've had problems with my kids, but not, you know. <laughs> never really went that far. Here's the deal. He comes from a pagan culture where child sacrifice to their God was something that they did. You're serving a mean God if you're, if you're having to offer up your kids to keep peace with them. And so that's why, why he was of that mindset. That's why he would do that. But he was also in conflict with the fact that God gave him a promise and said, I'm gonna start a nation out of you. And so he's, he's gonna do this sacrifice Isaac thing, thinking, okay, either there's gonna be like this resurrection or something else is gonna happen but I know this is my promised child. I know there's a bigger thing that's supposed to happen through my life. And sure enough, as he's about to go do this sacrifice, God provides a ram. And God becomes to him, Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides. But it was in the context of him pursuing, following the Lord in obedience to God's purposes that Abraham discovered that he's the God who provides. And Abraham never changed his agenda to pursuing provision ahead of everything else. He kept his focus on the purposes of God and then experienced God's blessing in that context. How about Moses with, with the Exodus? During the Exodus where Israel is leaving slavery, leaving Egypt, going, going into their promised land, Moses is leading Israel into the promised land, and then they come to some water at a place called Mara. But the water was bitter. And so Moses prays to God, and God says, I want you to take this stick, and I want you to throw it into the water, and it's, I'm gonna cause the bitter to become sweet. And that's what happened. And you can read the story in Exodus 15, 20 through 27. It's the place where God begins to promise healing to his people. And he becomes known as Jehovah Rofi, the God who heals, because he literally healed that water so it could be drank. And what happened at Mara is actually a type of salvation. At Mara, a stick was thrown into the water and the bitter turned to sweet. In salvation, the cross gets thrown into your life and your bitterness becomes sweet because of Jesus. How about Gideon? Gideon is suffering year after year with the attack of the Midianites who are stealing Israel's food and God shows up and calls him to take action. And so he does. Gideon gave God the name Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. Maybe that speaks to you. Maybe you're like a Gideon experiencing a lot of turmoil, a lot of challenge, a lot of tension in your life. I would say this to you, do what Gideon did. Pursue God first, put his plans and his ways first place in your life, and then watch him become the Lord of peace to turn things around for you. Watch his provision, but this is the key. Live your life in the context of pursuing the purposes and the will of God for your life, and you will encounter Jehovah Shalom, the peace of God. Faith is meant to be exercised in the context of living in God's purposes, In Hebrews chapter 11, we read all about these great exploits of faith and men and women who are heroes in the Bible, if you will, Abraham and Sarah and Samson and Noah and all these people. But faith operates in the context of relationship with God and the purposes of God for their life. And when you pursue Jesus only because you think that he will bless you, he will prosper you, and he will give you peace, you're out of context. You're out of context. Putting Jesus out of context becomes a setup for disappointment. It is. Jesus, it, we we thought you were gonna redeem Israel and, and now you've just you died on a cross. We're disappointed. As Peter said, let's go fishing. It's over. Pursuing Christ because of how he might bless your life is a Christianity that is out of context you've been reducing the savior of the world to a self-help guru. And now you can sit in church and, he, and here's the problem. When, when Christ is in this context of this self-help guru and, and that's where your head is at, you have a filter that hears scripture in the context of your personal ambition. And every promise of God that gets spoken you know, in, in, in a message now goes through that filter and you attach God's promises to thy will be done. This is my ambition. This is my goal. This is what I'm doing with my life. And now I'm gonna look at all of the promises of God as supporting that thing that I've already set out. And you can be doing that with complete ignorance, if you will, and not even pursuing God to know, God, what is it that you want me to do? What is it that's meant to be your will for me? And when it doesn't happen, and you set God up to serve your vision, and it doesn't happen as you thought it should. You're disappointed and you're, you lose interest in Jesus or at least the Jesus that you thought he was supposed to be. Consider the scripture. Philippians chapter four, verse 16. Very familiar passage. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Probably a lot of you have heard that before, memorized it, put it on your fridge. I mean, it's very, very familiar popular passage of scripture. But this particular verse is Paul writing actually from prison. And he's telling the church, first of all, let me give you the lead up to this, I can do all things. First of all, he says to the church, you know what? Rejoice always. In other words, I'm in prison, but I'm not going to let my situation steal my joy. Come on. I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate my joy. So rejoice in the Lord always. Then he tells them to Deal with your anxiety through prayer. And then he goes into talking about the fact that you need to be intentional about what you're thinking about because that's the way, that's the path to having peace of mind. You've got to be intentional with your thought life. Finally, he starts talking about being content when in need or when he has an abundance. He says, I've learned to be content on both of those situations. All of these issues in his life though, are in the context of being persecuted for the preaching of the gospel, for living in God's purposes in his life and pursuing building local churches. He's going through all of this for the sake of the gospel and the church. And then he sums all of this up by saying this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This isn't Paul's confession, 15 minutes into a Peloton workout. (laughs) Okay, five minutes. This isn't Paul's confession, teeing up a golf ball and ready to drive it. I can do all things. I can do some things. (laughs) This isn't Paul's confession or a confession of someone living an overbooked schedule that robs their family of time. This isn't a confession that sustains an attitude while being at home with toddlers. I can do all things through Christ. He's saying, no, no, no. This is his confession in light of his commitment to the purposes of God for his life. Or as Theos Memes puts it this way, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context. <laughs> this is his confession as he endures the persecution and the challenges that arise out of his choice to live in the context of following Christ, advancing the gospel and building the church. This was Paul's pushback against everything that wanted him to quit, make compromises, change the course of direction on his life and let culture shape his faith. And guess what? You and I have a similar context. You and I have a similar context. And the next time you're facing temptation, it might be a really good time to not only say no to the temptation, but to follow it up with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Come on. The next time that you're feeling intimidated to speak about your faith in Jesus, maybe a quick prayer and confession, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The next time that you're challenged to be generous in tithes and offerings, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And by the way, and my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in Christ. The next time that you're feeling the push of culture to back off, to compromise, to accommodate what you know is wrong, what you know is unbiblical, and to try to reshape that in your own head, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can stay on track. When your Christianity is out of context, it's a setup for disappointment. We were hoping Jesus would redeem Israel. And maybe maybe the way that you heard the gospel left you with a thought of, we were hoping Jesus would bless my business. We, we were hoping my personal struggles would all go away immediately. we were hoping my family challenges would, would simply be resolved overnight. And let me just say, Christ followers do experience God's blessing in their business and God's blessing on their personal life and and change and all the rest and God's blessing on their family. But what we don't do is make that blessing the center stage to why we serve and follow Jesus in the first place. We serve and follow Jesus because of who he is, not what he does. In fact, our faith should be lived in the context of Jesus and who he is, the gospel, the local church. And even if we don't get what we want in these other areas, it doesn't matter. We've decided to follow Jesus. And if you live in pursuit of his blessings while overlooking the purposes of God, your Christianity is out of context. And I submit to you, that's why it's not working for you. That's why I've watched people come into this thing and, you know, they heard somewhere that God would really bless what they're doing and that's kind of, was their hook, you know, and in church for a while, and it's that's not working. It's not working. Why? It's out of context. And then all of a sudden we're kind of bored with the whole thing and and then we drift. We were hoping Jesus would get us out of our problem. We we were hoping that Jesus would resolve our, our struggle. We We were hoping that Jesus would, help our our situation and, and making that central. In fact, I even think about the last couple of years going through a pandemic. We were hoping Jesus would get us out of that problem. We were hoping he would get us out of that situation, out of that struggle. And instead we had to go through it. We had to go through it. Two year pandemic. And you and I, we all engaged in, let's just pray and get this over with. And instead, let's pray and keep praying. And we went through something we were hoping to get out of. I don't know about you, but it actually sounds more biblical. Because when I read through my Bible, I find a lot of people who are in situations that they went through. And the scripture doesn't necessarily say it But I know in their humanity, there was a, can we please get out of this one prayer that happened before they went through it? When I think about people like Daniel, when I think about Job, when I think about the life of Moses leading Israel, but God took them through. I'd like the context of my faith to be about avoiding struggles, not going through them. How about you? But go back, read the New Testament again, and this time, read the promises in their context. Put the scripture back into the context, the context of the gospel, the context of Christ's mission to build his church and to see salvation flourish in, in, you know, throughout the world. And then when you read Bible verses about endurance and not quitting and about staying the course and about fighting a fight of faith and rejoicing and trusting and believing when things look impossible and those who endure in the end will be safe. These are all about the advancement of God's kingdom in our life and in the world around us. And when we read these scriptures, they're encouraging us in our walk with God about not compromising, not letting the pressure of culture shape your faith not giving in to temptation, not leaving, your, uh, not leaving your faith in Jesus, choosing to take up your cross and follow Jesus, which is a fancy way of saying, not just living to please yourself, allowing God to continue to work in your life to make you more and more like him and pursuing knowing him and following the leading of your Holy Spirit. That's what it's all about. The leading of the Holy Spirit, I should say. That's what it's all about. And when you think about the gospel and the centrality of the gospel of your life and you think about the promises of God, think about it this way. How many here show me show of hands has somebody in your world you've been praying for for like 10 years or longer? Come on. 10 years or longer. All those scriptures that talk about endure, don't quit, pray again, you know, be living as a testimony of salvation, stay out of hypocrisy, live above reproach, don't be intimidated That's in the context of exhorting you of living for the purposes of the ministry of the gospel to people like that that are in your world. How about the church? Jesus said, I will build my church. should never apologize for promoting what Christ is building. My purpose and your purpose have a place in his purpose. And our lives should be lived in that context And when we take them out of that context, we can miss the mark. We can miss the mark on on, what we're passing down to our children. We can miss the mark on how we manage finances and time and talent. We can miss the mark in literally our place in history. How many know God's writing a story? It's called history, and we get to be a part of his story. Jesus loves the church. Jesus, the Bible says, died for the church. Jesus is coming back for the church, and we are to live our lives in the context of God's purpose of building his church. Let's stand as we take a moment of prayer together and, and then communion follow. I wanna pray first, and, and I wanna address this before I do. Maybe today's message has brought about an awareness in your own life that the context of your faith has been about what will God do for me? How is God operating in my world? Are my prayers being answered? How is he blessing me? What can I expect from him for me? Maybe that's been the context. And quite frankly, some preaching and some of the witnessing about Jesus could actually lead you to think that way. But you've understood as we've talked today that the context needs to change. It's all about him. Jesus is Lord. He is God. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's my sin. He died for our sins. Christ is central to all of this. When Jesus says, this is what I'm gonna, I'm gonna build my church and, and the gospels to go to the whole world. You know, how many know that's his purpose? Our lives center around that purpose. He becomes central. And, and maybe in your life, That hasn't been the case. It's been out of context. I I wanna pray with you. This is an opportunity to respond to this message, to say, God, I need to get my Christianity in its right context. It's about you. Seek first the kingdom. All these things will be added. You love me, you will care for me, but my intention needs to be about you, knowing you, following you, serving you, living for your purpose, for my life. And if that's spoken to you, this is an opportunity to pray. With our heads bowed, how many here would say, Pastor, you know what, this context thing? <clears throat> Count me in. I need to pray. I need to change this in my life. My Christianity's been out of context. Can you just raise your hand, give me a wave, if that's you. <clears throat> it's lots of hands up. Let's pray with those who are praying today. Lord Jesus, today I'm making a decision to receive you into my life as the Lord of my life. I'm putting you in your right context. My faith is central to following you, discovering your will, your plan, your purpose, and living in that. I want to know you more and more and live for you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for all of us here and may we always keep Christ in context. Lord, may we catch ourselves should we slide into a mind frame that begins to position you as our servant when we are here to serve you. We're going to go ahead and take communion together. If you want to take the, uh, the challenging little piece of plastic off the top. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we take this bread, we do so as a reminder that it was your body that was broken for us. That, Lord, our, our, our life is broken if it's disconnected from the Heavenly Father. But our life is made whole when we're in relationship with you. And Jesus, we remember. We remember so that we don't take it for granted that your body had to be broken for our salvation. And so we remember as we take this bread. Now we take the cup. Lord, as we take this cup, we remember that it was on, it's only through your blood being shed that we get to experience forgiveness, that we get to experience freedom from sin, freedom from condemnation, that we get to experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life and in a living, vibrant relationship with you. Lord, may we never come to a place of familiarity, but and never come to a place where we take this for granted, but realize the incredible price that was paid. And Lord, we remember that your blood was shed to a point of death, but you rose again and gave us new life. And so, Father, we take the cup. As you continue to stand, the ushers are gonna collect these, and and we're gonna engage in this song once more. And let's do so sealing this word in our heart. Centrality, the context of Jesus in our life as Lord of our lives. Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at CelebrationEmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationemonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.